What's going on, guys? We had an amazing episode this week. Uh, we dove into Principles by Ray Dalio, uh, the, the founder of Bridgewater, which is the world's largest hedge fund, um, most successful. And he talked about the principles that he used both in his personal life and to build that company from the ground up and turn it into what it is today. So there's a lot, a lot that we can apply um, to our own world, whether you're talking business, uh, your personal life, or any aspect of your day-to-day. Just a great read, lots of things to pull from that. So I hope you enjoy it. Another quick note, uh, we did the tools a couple episodes back. And we were able to interview today uh, one of the co-authors of the book, uh, Barry Michaels, who talked about some of the tools and the principles there as well. So we'll be releasing that later on in the week as bonus content. Um, and then lastly, if you are looking to um, improve your business, start a business online, or just um, expand your reach digitally, uh, we have a, a Facebook group for the podcast, uh, Books to Business, where you know we do tutorials and live trainings, just offering insights. Um, and some quick courses to help you guys um, in whatever it is you're trying to do um, in the digital world. So uh, I'll put the link in the description. If that's you, check it out. Join us. Uh, It's a good time. And uh, other than that, enjoy the podcast, guys. It's a good one. What's up, guys? Another episode of Books to Business. How's everybody doing? How are you? Got a good one this week. One word, Principles by Ray Dalio. One of the all-time uh, great hedge fund leaders created a set of principles in life and business. Yeah, he said Forbes Forbes rated his company, Bridgewater, the fifth most successful company. I forget at what point, but the most fifth, or the fifth most successful company in the world. So this guy certainly... Use innovation systems and, and incredible people to create one of the uh, most important businesses of our time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. He he's really he does a really nice job talking about some of the ways he looks at things, some of his approaches, and some of his principles um, to creating um, you know a successful and happy life, and also doing well in business and. A little bit of a overlap between the two, I think, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, his his whole idea is that success is a very repeatable process, and he didn't become successful from one to one hundred. He became successful from one to two, and in getting from one to two, he made mistakes, and he has a system to evaluate the obstacle, mm-hmm. how to create a plan to get around it, how to install that lesson into a new belief and a new uh he calls them algorithms in fact uh that's a that's a repeatable predictable process to get a reliable regular result an algorithm that's all it is yeah and that's legitimately if you get nothing else out of this book and if you hang up after this part of the podcast if you can get from one to two or from a to b not a to z a to b in your journey you're going to get it you're going to hit something it's going to get in your way and when you do you have to evaluate that mistake or that lesson. Step away after the fact. He says pain plus reflection, um, quality reflection equals a principle. 
Hmm. And it's repeat, repeat, repeat. It was really, that's the biggest thing I got out of the, the book principles. Yeah, he's big on that. He, he says that that's defining for him and his success is hmm. that he's someone that just attacks. Attacks, fails, refines again, again, and again. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, you know, like you said, an important thing. There's a lot of people that hide under the guise of perfectionism. And that's just not a thing. You, you're not a... I, I learned this the hard way, man. You're not a perfectionist. You're scared. They're, they're the same thing with different titles. Um, you know, you win, you succeed by trying and trying and trying and learning and picking up the pieces. So that was really important. I mean, that's one lesson you'll get from wanting to ever pursue a new business venture or, or a new relationship, too. It doesn't have to be in business. That's why he has principles in life and business. The overlap's ridiculous. It's almost in every case. Yeah. Life principles can be applied to business. Business principles can be applied to life. But the, you know, breaking it down, going through a process, applying things that work, getting rid of and learning from things that don't. Yeah. Exactly. It's a way to get going in your business journey or your a new relationship journey, whatever it is you want. Um, He's big on, on realism, like being very practical. Yeah. You know, like, like one of the things he kept talking about was, and he even, so he talks about it in terms of, of personally, but he also talks about it in business. And I was like, when I, when I was going through it in the second half of the book, when he's in the, the sort of the business principle side, I mean, he's like, if you meet someone that's utopian and has this sort of perfectionist attitude, get the hell away from them. Like yeah. they're, they're, they'll derail you. And so he's like very, very adamant about being pragmatic and practical and, and, and real about understanding how life works. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You, you uh, talk about the, the dreamers because he's, he's got the opposite. You know, there are some, certain parts about the dreamer. There's the good dreamer and the bad dreamer. The good dreamer just wants things to go away. I mean, a, a good example would be life now or, you know, we're shooting this podcast in a, uh, in the middle of a crisis mm -hmm. and it's brutal reality that's occurring this is a, a difficult time and some people say I wonder if it'll stop tomorrow I wonder if it'll, we'll go back to work next week I wonder if the beaches will be open next month or for now it's coming up on what Labor Day or Memorial Day and the, the, the realist will say maybe not you know 56 people died yesterday right you know there's new cases maybe we gotta do this indefinitely the realist will will confront have the discipline to confront the brutal reality, right? As he says, embrace reality and deal. Yeah, uh, you gotta adapt. Um, the, there's a there's a middle ground, right? Like the the yeah. people he calls shapers, the Steve Jobs, all these you know the the people that really transform. They have their head in the clouds, but they're realists and they're systematic in their approach. So they come back down. They have that ability to balance both. Yeah, um, which is. You know, you, you gotta you gotta know where the North Star is. You have to believe it. You have to see it. But you also have to be, you know, creating tangible steps and a roadmap to get there. Yeah. You will see a a person like that that he calls a shaper that ever will talk about an environment that isn't real. Right. They'll, right. They'll, they'll 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 help you. They'll forward pace you into an environment that they're thinking and dreaming. They'll say it in words and and visualizations in their speeches and ideas. But they will be really accurate with the present conditions right and the, the present circumstances are they are what they are embrace it and let's deal with it let's get past the barriers 
like you and I, were, we were doing a, uh, a, new, a new program. We're experimenting, and Eddie and I feel like Thomas Edison because we found almost every single way that someone won't buy this product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of interesting because it's a, it's, it's a very easy, legitimate problem. I'm sure there's a very logical solution to it, but we got to, after this is over, we're going to go through a process and try to isolate, uh, diagnose the root cause, and work, uh, build a workaround. It's baffling. I mean, because we're taking the, our previous, um, you know, systems and equations for success, applying it to this particular initiative, and it just won't work. I, it's it's really interesting. It's fun. Like yeah. once we crack it, which I think we'll do very soon, uh, it'll be it'll make it all. You know, it'll be a great story on top of whatever um, outcomes we get. But it's uh, yeah, it's part of the process. It's part of the you know part of the ride. I'm enjoying it. I felt like uh, Forrest Gump when he pulled the shrimp trap up and only one shrimp came out. <laughs> that's what, that's what our, yeah. our entire evening's worth of marketing. 10,000 people hit something. No one, no one takes any action. It's like, oh, we didn't even catch one shrimp. Uh, and in the book, Dalio talks about uh, wanting the, the mistake. To, if once you're really wired to this process, you want to almost get a mistake so you can work on it. Right. It's called the mistake learner's high. Uh, and it w- is wild when you, you want to have a problem to solve because when, when there are no more problems to solve, life isn't as interesting. Right. Like, you know, things are more interesting to me when there's, they're complicated and there's a lot of chaos. Yeah. He, I think he even uses that quote, happiness is progress. Right. You know, uh, the, the growth and the challenge. And he says even he compares um, like a, a basketball player that's, you know, maybe young, just starting out in high school versus a pro playing ball. One is way better than the other, but that doesn't mean things are easy for the pro, right? They're both in their own context seeking some type of growth and expansion, whatever they're doing. So that part of life doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, we always want to be growing and improving. That's where we get our fulfillment. Yeah, they're dealing with uh, the older player who could be dealing with a physical limitation and the younger player could be still figuring out how to use their physical ability. Yeah, exactly. They're both working through a, this, a, their own problem. And if they're real about it and they, you know, they isolate the root cause and they, they develop a workaround, that's the, the beginning of what's called an algorithm. That's the beginning of a process to understand that when something happens, you have a, a decision. He has a whole, a whole process to do that. We'll go over in a little while. Yeah. Yes, he goes through a, a five-step process every time. Uh, when he encounters any new goal, and the first, the first, you know, the first step is to have a clear goal. Mm-hmm. And you and I went through this recently. Uh, you know, we, we we have a lot of moving parts in our lives because we run separate businesses, and then we run a business together. So we have, you know, maybe two or three different sets of goals. They're all very similar, but we, we, the more clear they are, the better. And if you have a goal that you want to change the world. For instance, it's a big goal, but you need to be a little more clear about it. You know, how, who, where, when, by when, with what team. There's a a lot to a goal. Uh, He does believe in the audaciousness of a goal. Big, hairy goal. They call it BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious goal. BHAG. A friend of mine used to call it that. Um, Have a big goal, but have it clear. And it's almost like the challenge isn't just defining it once. It's like as you evolve and opportunities come up and things come at you and you change and it's like maintaining line of sight. It's like a shower. It's like you have to repeatedly do it and, uh, you know, be on the same page there um, so that you can 
to your point, know what to eliminate. Um, cause things add up quick and you, you start doing things that have no correlation to what the big picture is. It's very easy to fall into that trap. Well, if you're in number one, if you're clear with your goals, you'll have no problem finding number two, which is identifying and isolating obstacles. I think he says, don't tolerate them. Mm-hmm. Like if something's in the way of you getting your goal, you don't just kind of stop. Yep. You just don't tolerate it. You isolate it and identify it. And that's a big, uh, you know, a big part of the, the algorithm, the second step is identifying the problem, exactly what it is. And then the third is to go to its root cause. What, what caused it? What caused the problem? Yeah. We, were, uh, we did a, a, a live last night for a group of our, our private members. And I think one of them was getting at, like, what are you guys, what's your primary objective? And Eddie and I almost got, like, kind of sit back for a second. And Steve, right? Like, mm-hmm. What do we do, Steve, in your mind? What do you mean? What do we do as a company? Podcasts, all our stuff. What's it geared towards doing? Helping people start their own business and taking the best tips out of books, curating them with the experience since you've read a lot of books already. And your experience combined takes those tips and makes them very simplified, kind of like what he says, a repeatable format that forms a machine that they can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is the, the dynamic of the book, right? It's another thing where a detail can sort of dilute the, like our goal is to help entrepreneurs start businesses, help people, mm-hmm. you know, with, and the books are a vehicle to do that. Um, and sometimes you need to take a step back and, and just really assess that because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's easy to get, easy to get convoluted. He talks about causes and symptoms. You know, a lot of the times what we think is the cause is merely a symptom of something bigger or a lack of understanding, something that should be there that's not. So that to be able to pull yourself above the minutia and really assess, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're spending our time. Here's how it relates or doesn't relate to our goal. Right. Uh, really important. Yeah, the book, the reason we use books is a, as a, as a way to communicate information, the num- the overriding uh, reason is the, you can get a book for free in a library. Yeah. Like, there's no limitations on doing this. The only limitation on doing it is deciding you can't do it. Because the ideas that we get, many of the ideas that we share with you every single week here, we've, we learn these in these books. I mean, we've been doing this for 20 weeks now. So we've read 20 books. We've curated 20 different business books and we've laid that out in one hour under an hour in almost every case mm-hmm. the big ideas from the books that you can use in life and business um, mostly i mean our goal is to help people start businesses um, and if we we also do that with people that are already in business helping them go online with their business this is basically an online company yeah uh, right now and, and not to be cliche but you know people talk about mentors all the time Right. How often, you know, do we get emails about that? Or it's even like you hear it, you know, people saying, look, you need mentors, you need mentors, you need mentors. So let's say theoretically, I'm going to take this on sort of a tangent here. You have a mentor and you're fortunate enough to meet with them once a month. Right. And you sit down for a half hour and you get five or six, you know, real important nuggets that you put in your pocket. You say, that's going to help me. Well, this is literally straight from Ray Dalio's mouth. A book is, is, almost like a mentor, but you're getting more in less time, you know? And that's really how I'm looking at it. Since I started reading a book a week, and when I say reading, Audible is my sort of hack for that, right? Because I can put it on 2.0 speed and and get it done a lot quicker. But I'm 
taking in information that's literally changing my life every single day. So it's not just like, oh, read a book. It's good for you. It'll make you smart. It's like, understand what it is. You're learning from people that are are changing the world. It's like sitting across from them at breakfast and getting information right from their mouth. It's a really cool way to look at it. Oh, totally. And, you know, in, in this book here, what he shared, you know, Ray Dalio put his whole entire business and investment management process online for the whole world to see. Yeah. He was one of the very first to do that. He had a hedge fund. He was getting these crazy results. And he was getting examined by examiners and doubters. And he said, okay, here it is, world. He put it on the website. He says, "Go if you want to do it, here it is. We do it better. You know, it's basically uh, like Nick Saban or Bill Belichick giving you the playbook. Here's our plays. We're still going to run them really well. By the way, he has the audacity to say Lombardi is the best coach in history. Just, just throwing it out there. Sorry. But he gives, he gives these algorithms, and there's only a few that – that I think you need to learn to get something to get started. Hopefully enough that you say, I want to learn principles. This is, you know, you get the book and read it yourself. But the five steps, we've already done three. Clear goals. Um, don't tolerate obstacles. Diagnose the root problem. For, work a plan around. So if you have a problem, you got the root cause, you work a plan around it. And the fifth one is, no matter what, finish. Push, push through, follow up. Mm-hmm. And that five-step algorithm will work in life, period. So when you have, what an algorithm means is, if this happens, run this process. Uh, a simple example would be uh, the, the was it a thermometer in your house? Thermostat. The thermostat is an algorithm, and it sits. And if the temperature, so let's say you sit at oh. 70, if the temperature falls below 70, it turns the heater on, until it reaches 70. If it gets above 70, it turns the air conditioner on until it goes back down to 70. It's an algorithm. It's the perfect brain. It doesn't have to think. It just does it without emotion. Right. And this particular one is a process. If, you're, if you have a goal, it gives you a way to make and achieve a goal to go from one to two. Mm. And that's just one thing you can do for your whole life. If you, you know, per, let's just take someone through a, you know, what we're getting now. I got a phone call from my my alumni association today. Steve was here, and they want me to teach alumni how to conduct business online. Now, these are not going to be 25-year-old people. These are going to be people that have been displaced, and they're out of work, and they, and they might be there for a long time. They might even lose their job, so they're scared. Once you take away someone's ability to earn a living, you, you lose, they lose their dignity. And here's a... a, a an external factor that displaced somebody and through no fault of their own, they're out of work. So what, what books give you is the dignity. They give you power. And if your goal is I want to start a business, self-employed business online, if that's your big goal, you know, you're going to have obstacles. You don't tolerate them. You're going to need to work around. You have to do some learning and trial and error. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to uh, push, you know, build a plan and push through. It's, it, that's the, the algorithm. That's the process. Yeah. yeah, The process. That's what he calls it. And another layer, I just want to touch on this because you mentioned it, and I feel like it's really important. He talks about again and again and again pulling emotion out of the, you know, um, really important theme. We make, humans are not rational. Right. We make we make very emotional decisions, and they're usually not good decisions. So he, surprisingly, I... I was I, I love this about the book. It's he talks about evolutionary uh, biology a lot, and how some people 
are the way they are because of their physiology and it's important to not react emotionally but to seek to understand them mm-hmm. uh, because when you understand someone um, you know you're, you're better to like you won't be going in circles emotionally there won't be debate but there's a different type of conversation that's hey you know you have a my interests at heart, I have yours at heart, let's get together and let's make this happen. And you understand how they're different from you, right? So you can sort of um, adjust your approach. I thought that was really, really cool. On that part, what I really liked about that, with the, I really liked the evolutionary part. And uh, one thing he mentioned was, uh, like you're saying, some people are, you always have to pull yourself objectively. But when you're thinking of that, see where your weaknesses are and find yourself a team that sees things differently from you. Yeah. And then... He said there's fewer people than there are types of people uh, or fewer types of people than there are people and fewer types of situations than there are situations. If you can find a good, diverse type of people with around your team, you could handle any situation. It's just about delegating correctly. And I thought that was really powerful to build a team. Yeah. I guess a whole whole process to building teams and, and, and how to, I think he calls it triangulating problem, right? Yeah. So he gets a... When he has a problem, he, he, and in the book he talks about his own cancer. I think it was cancer. He had something wrong with his esophagus. I think one person thought it was a form of cancer. Another person thought it was okay. And another person wanted to take his esophagus out. So he's getting three radically different uh, opinions. And he triangulated the world's greatest experts in the three matters and took, and took a consensus and made the decision. He triangulated it with uh, an opposite opinion of what he had. He didn't just take one person's opinion. Right, and that and that's what happens with humans are have biases. Computers have no bias. The perfect brain works without emotion. We did episodes on the cognitive biases. The perfect brain works without an emotion. The perfect brain in a driverless car, which is an algorithm, doesn't text. Right? Isn't upset about something their spouse said to them. Isn't hungry. Isn't looking at something pretty on the side of the road. Perfect. A million lives would be saved by a driverless car. Right now. That's right. what the, the, the studies say. But instead, one driverless car gets in an accident and everyone acts emotionally. <laughs> right. But of course, that's the, that's the point. Right. That's the, the power of uh, programming. You know, remember he said artificial intelligence is upon us and it needs to be used whenever possible. But we still have ancient intelligence, which is the 500 million year old basal ganglia, the one that we read in Atomic Habits that you can program to to uh, the automatic brain, the one that works automatically. So he has a, a, a little bit on both of those. Yeah. How you got to program both AI and ancient, ancient intelligence. Yeah, or at least be aware of what um, your quote-unquote lizard brain's doing so that you can fix it. It's, it's that awareness that people miss, you know. Yeah. Also, he does, like, it, it, sh- it makes you realize how fickle expertise is. You know, like the three different doctors. It's like, you know, like he talks about the importance of, you know, understanding that someone's a thought leader or someone has expertise and weighing that appropriately when you're making your decisions. But it's not a one size fits all. And I think that like we talked about in the cognitive biases, um, authority bias gets a lot of people, you know, like you think you attribute you think someone's infallible because of this status that they have. And it's like, people are wrong. Like take what they ha- have into account, weigh it for yourself. Right. But no question. Yeah. I mean, otherwise the world would still be flat in the, 
And the, uh, the Earth will be the center of the universe, right? Those are two different, <laughs> two yeah. different discoveries yeah. we made that were both pretty wrong. Now the Earth is round, and this podcast is the center of the universe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> talk about uh, talk about the business principles a little bit. One of the things I love about about his business principles, and this is this is this is delicate because we don't want to unleash hell. He had a concept called meaningful work plus meaningful relationships is why he worked. He said he had enough money to feed his family, and I don't know whether or not that's necessarily true that money didn't mean anything to a billionaire, but he seemed sincere when he said meaningful work and meaningful relationships together make a a life worth living. The the way he he would chalk it up is money is great, and it's a measurement of success, but it is a byproduct of doing what you love and you care about with people that are important to you. Um, so right. he wasn't discouraging by any means. Obviously, people from going out and making money, he thinks you can and you should. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be the driving force. When you're doing something well and you're adding value to the world, the money will come. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have, um, we did this with Carnegie's book, you know, you win, your, win people over to your way of thinking. You create a team which creates momentum, which creates a common victory. Mm-hmm. When all people benefit and all, you know, all people struggle and suffer together. I like that. That goes back to the evolution part that I like. He always says, look at, he reflects in nature to give him guidance. He talks about uh, it designed the laws of reality. The planes, he says people make planes because they understand gravity. People can send self signals because they understand the laws of how that works. And then what you're saying is that nature's the greatest, the evolution's the greatest thing nature's ever made. And when he says that, um, it talks about like seeing yourself as an individual, but seeing it as a part of the greater whole, the greater machine. Right. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. We're all very, we're all very vulnerable, we, as we well know, right? There's a there's a virus out there right now that could very easily kill you. And you can you can you can you can go to the gas station, touch a gas pump, and have that that change your life instantly. And you can say, why me? Why me? Uh, well, it's part of it's part of uh, it's part of the big life we're, we're leading. We got to we got to adapt. Uh, the survival species that is strongest doesn't always survive. It's the one that adapts to the environment that it finds itself in mm-hmm. survives. Yeah, it's an old saying. I like that part. And he you got to adapt. Got to adapt. You got to adapt, and you got to understand why, and not get like so caught up in me versus them good versus bad you know to steve's point it's like we we tend to oversimplify and see things through our lens and it's like no you're one cog in this wheel Mm -hmm. you know and and when you do that it's another decision making process he uses you know it's like get out of your head look at the bigger picture here um and that helps shape a lot of his decisions around philanthropy and you know directions with with Bridgewater. Yeah, because his life kind of took three phases. He said he was a kid for years, and then he is depending upon others. And then there was many people that depended upon him. You know, during his years at Bridgewater. Now he he wrote this book to 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 write down what he learned in his life as a process to pass on others to do well while he's not there. A legacy. Yeah. He's like a Yoda. He came, he taught, now it's on to the next. Yeah, I mean, imagine going through your whole life 
and not leaving something useful and meaningful for the world to use while you know it was all the collection of all the pain you had in your life written in a document you know i started writing my principles down when i when i uh, read principles in fact my ted talk when i decided to use algorithms as a major part of my ted talk was because i read ray dalio's book you know the algorithm to recreate yourself I, I connected with that. I still talk about algorithms pretty regularly. It's a big, a big takeaway from one book I read. Yeah, that's powerful. This book changed my life. Uh, I hope we get to meet him someday. Yeah, you got to let him know. You gotta let him know. I'll that's track him cool. down. Steve, you can get at him. <laughs> yeah, get at him. I'll give him. A- Tell him we'll give him a very strongly worded review if he doesn't call back. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked also when he said, uh, "What do you say?" He said, uh, "You can have almost anything you want." but you can't have everything. Because mm. he says, I wrote down this in my notes, which I really like. He's like, the pursuit of dreams gives life its flavor. So he's really big on like chasing your dreams, like you said. And But he says, you can have anything. Like If you want to pursue anything, you can really have it, but it's you can't have everything. So it's like, choose wisely. That is the most wisdom ever. Thank you. That was teaching. <laughs> <laughs> you just read that on the computer. <laughs> I was coaching a group of advisors uh, that recruit advisors. And I said this, I said, if you're trying to recruit everyone, you're not going to recruit anyone. It's the same idea. You got you to gotta be defined and clear in what it is you're looking for and how you can help somebody. Because fundamentally, last night we we're talking about people that want to go online with their business. And fundamentally, someone out there has a problem that you have a solution for, that they're willing to pay you in some way for. So you have an audience that has a problem that needs a solution. That's the basis of any business. Once you get those three steps going, you're basically on your way to solving that problem. You can implement these principles to refine what that is, to test and adjust and endure and follow through and carry on. Yeah. That's why those, those cards we use as a tool are so helpful because they allow you to create a template. Um, but there's flexibility there because we're all different, you know, um, and, and operating under the premise that, and this is huge, that what you want is possible, right? That your message matters. There's an audience for it. A lot of times it's just connecting point A and point B. Um, right. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he talks about this over and over and over in the book. One, it's understanding what you don't know is critical so you can surround yourself with people and be open to acquiring information that will help you fill those gaps. There's a lot of people that don't make that assessment. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's really to your advantage to look at yourself, your strengths, and, and, you know, not necessarily, you know, like you said on one of the last podcasts, you know, if you, all you're worried about is working on your weaknesses, you'll have, what is it, good weaknesses? Strong weaknesses. Strong weaknesses. Um, You know, as opposed to being great at what you do and then finding the resources, getting the help to kind of propel you to the next level. He cared about the people he worked with. Yeah. And they cared for him. They cared, they cared for him enough to tell him that he was wrong when he was wrong. And he was smart enough to have a, a, a process to let someone talk to somebody in that way, even the CEO. There was a 24-year-old that gave him a really scathing grade on a... On a uh, the dot thing, right? Yeah, he calls it the dot collector. 
Like you could literally, it's, I think they do it by computer. They have an algorithm set up that you can grade someone as they're presenting and you can agree or disagree with their ideas like instantly. And, and, uh, the company had an algorithm that collected everyone's consensus. It was called a dot collector. They recorded as a dot. They, you, if you gave a grade that was good or bad, you'd have to explain why. And she lit him up, like gave him like a three. The CEO billionaire, 24 year old brand new employee had a way to communicate like, I don't think you are right. And that discipline was called radical transparency. It was okay. Yeah. It was you your know, culture. That's what makes great teams. Brutal honesty. Yeah, like we go to work on each other once in a while after this, after the camera's off, <laughs> no problem. And we all gave each other permission to say so if something's up. And we're and this book will bring us to an even higher level of that. Yeah. And that's when great teams win. He says something like similar to that. I forget exactly how he says it, but he talks about um, when you're at work and you're trying to be part of the culture instead of like the radical transparency, you're basically doing two jobs. You have like a job of like trying to be somebody and also your job you're trying to do at the office. Which I thought was really right. Good when way you to don't play. agree with something, you're telling everybody around you that you do. Mm-hmm. So you have two two, two yeah. characters. You're almost saying, "Oh yeah, it's a great idea," and, and then you go, and then behind the scenes, your your undercurrent is, "This guy's out of his mind. This isn't going to work. I don't right. know why they're doing it." And it, that creates just a bad situation yeah. for the company. Yeah. The, the the front end thinking is, if you confront someone, right. it's going to create tension and problems that are are detrimental Mm -hmm. maybe even take more time right but the reality is if you do and you have these discussions in the long run you'll be better because you'll you know come to better conclusions and do things in a way that ultimately is more efficient you've weighed the pros and cons you've had that discussion um, versus just keeping it to yourself screwing up and then you know uh, backpedaling later so it's almost like a shortcut communicating was it was another learned process that I that I enjoyed. I don't know whether or not a company could could easily pull this off, but he had a everybody take a personality test and everybody had a baseball card. Like you if someone was in the company they have a card tell you what their personality type was, you know, their bi- it's basically their biases, you know, how what are their abilities, what are their values, how do they get things done? Mm-hmm. What are their weaknesses? It was on a card. Yep. So if you and I were on a project together and I'm creative and you're an implementer, we'd make a good team. If we're both creative or we're both implementers, we wouldn't necessarily make a good team. Right. And that's how we built their teams around that. Originally, really. a little bit of pushback with those. Remember from the employees, yeah. people were scared they'd be pigeonholed in a certain thing. Yep. Um, ultimately, though, it ended up being great because it allowed people to sort of, again, like move all the, the BS away that comes with trying to figure that stuff out and brought transparency to, to the conversation. There's nothing better than to finally discover after lots and lots of trial and error that someone really belongs in a different job. Right. And then when you finally kind of guide them over there, which almost never happens, it almost is always a process of putting, because they're a good person, you put them in different jobs until they finally hit their sweet spot. Like if you knew that, that up front, you'd save all that time and misery. Mm. And, and, uh, it's, but it's, it's, it, when it happens, it's wonderful. Yeah. Someone's like, wow, that person should be in training. We had them in sales. Yeah. Or an IT person that was in compliance. He, you know? talk, he talks about that and how difficult it is. Like a good leader, even when someone is a good person, but they're not getting it cut. So like, for example, you know, let's say that it wasn't a quick switch from there to there mm-hmm. and they're just, they're not getting it done. They're not in line with the culture. They're, they don't have what it takes. 
a good leader has to be able to let them go because you're doing a disservice to both the company and that person. Um, there's somewhere where they're not going to be able to grow. If you let them go, you know, they'll be able to reassess and, and sort of figure out where they can do well. We used to have a process called uh, when we're trying to fire somebody because we're a commission-based salesperson. So you don't necessarily ever have to fire anybody. They just don't get paid. It's like that guy in office space. Oh, my coming God. In. It's like, yeah, the guy's still here. And my my old mentor would kick me and go, sell him happiness. So that was the whole process. Like you would be happier doing something else. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's a responsibility of a leader of an organization to be real with somebody's performance and their, and their own, you know, usability in life somewhere else. I mean, that's just reasonable for someone to do. Wow, so you guys were entirely commission-based. Yeah, after the first 60 days, he was 100% commission. So if you made no sales, that was your zero, was your paycheck. Right. Some people hung in there long. They wanted to do it. And it's because they were programmed not to quit. Or, But it was one of those instances where I've had people that they said would fail out of selling. That didn't, They didn't fail. They just don't like doing it and aren't any good at it. Right. And you put them in training or compliance or, or in marketing, and they, they thrive, or in conference planning. I mean, they're just, everyone's got a place in the world. Like, yeah. everyone, there's, there's a college for everybody, right? <laughs> right? There's a job for everybody. There's a way to serve in a meaningful way for everybody. You just gotta, you know, through your life, figure out what that is. And another quick pivot, because this is particularly relevant to that concept, lining up your employee's compensation with your goals as well so that i mean he he emphasized the importance of having something he didn't particularly say commission but something that's incentive based that aligns with exactly what you're hoping to get out of them um which was pretty pretty powerful you got to communicate verbally and contractually what's important to you right a lot of people have a channel conflict with that they don't they have a they say something in their contract they pay people differently and you have a conflict you won't get your results compensation is like another language right and he talks about algorithms being a language like we need to speak the language of algorithms we need to speak the language of repeatable systems that work knowing someone's personality type being brutally transparent having a process to argue having a process to to call someone out having a process to get through obstacles what else we got? I have a question for you guys. Do you have any principles that you developed on your own? Because he talks about like over these experiences through his business and his life, he came up with these principles that helped him like accelerate his progress. Do you have any of your own principles that you live by? Mm, maybe dive into one of your TED Talk principles. Um, well, the, my algorithm for recreating myself, um, I, I reverse engineered, but I've taught it many times. It was a three-step algorithm. And it's to recreate yourself, which means to bring something new into existence. Step number one is to decide. And what decide means, to make decisions, means to cut away from. The etymology is D means away from, incision means cut. Detour is away from, incision, cut, to cut away from. So to change the fruit, you need to change the root. So there's things you got to cut in phase one. And, you know, your, your persona, your... You know, people you hang out with, places you go, the purpose you have. Uh, you wipe some of those out or maybe all of them. And then the second one is to dream, to tell yourself a, a story, a better story. You install a story uh, because if you don't, the world will install theirs on you. And the third one is uh, dominoes. Line up your dominoes. 
one little domino that can knock over a bigger one and a bigger one. Go from one to two, not from one to four. Mm. And only focus on what's in front of you today that you can do tomorrow that make yourself better and make that story you tell yourself more of a reality. So three steps. Yeah. That was it. I'm going to do what you did and, and write mine down. Um, cause that, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. You know, I've never, I've never thought mine out. Um, there are certain things that I, I do for sure. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm consciously aware, like I, I've cut out a lot of people that don't directly contribute to my goal. That was a big step. Um, you know, looking at the big picture, um, allowed me to remove like a lot of it's cutting it's simplifying 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 and i've seen uh the past maybe year and a half specifically things increase exponentially simply by having less um understanding the other person's perspective is a big one oh go ahead what i mean what what occurred to me is i know you have definitely have algorithms you run you're just not written down right right and uh because you're a solopreneur and as the business gets more, and we're a small business now, but here's, here's what I've learned over the years when I went to sell my business, one or two of them, is if you have a business that's doing well, you get a certain percentage of sales when you sell it. This is one compelling reason to write principles down. If you have standard procedures that are written that you can transfer from employee A to, employee, to another employee, that employee A doesn't have that magic thing tied up in a brain. Mm-hmm. It's a written principle. It's called a standard operating procedure. Uh, the company is worth as many as two to three times the money if the, if the uh, procedures are written. It's uh, a good thing to know. Yeah. yeah. So I've been writing some procedures down a long time. But there's procedures about your know, human potential that we don't write down a lot. So journaling has been a little bit about that. You know, writing, journaling like every day. That's a, something that captures a lot of things. Then you can circle back and organize it. What about the, the idea from, and it's sort of touched on in the book, Tools. Like, because in life and business, you have encounters with people that you, sometimes it just brings you nothing but rage, right? There's, there's just, on the surface, you don't see the value. It makes you angry. Um, but really seeking to see their perspective, like giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think is important. Right. So it's like we both want the best. It's just have different ways of getting there. Or you can use, you know, two different companies. You can use political adversaries. Um, You know, it's like everyone wants what's best. And if you stop and you take a second and you you discharge emotionally, um, you know, you can you can talk through those things and the conversations are a lot more productive. I think that might be an important one. We talked about that last I think last week. When you become objective instead of being in the, I think we talked about it with traffic. Someone cuts you off and you want to, you know, road rage. Yeah. You want to go get them. And instead of doing that, you become curious to what maybe is going on in that guy's car or that guy's head. Right. And then, you know, or remove yourself, float above it like a drone and just watch the situation. Like, oh, wow, what's going on here? This guy (laughs) seems to be mad and this other guy's chasing him now. So what the hell's going on? Yeah. And then That's you, what you call the pink bunny suit rule. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, they, they, you know, be objective. That means remove yourself from it and look like it. Look at it like it's an object. Yeah, uh, I'd say really like rage and, and resentment is a big inhibitor in life. It's toxic. It's a shackle. Yeah, it's you. You end up getting dragged into it, and you might not have done anything. Right. And then um, you know, the, the in tools he talks about the 
the gratitude, you know, think of five. When you feel like that, when you feel resentment, think five things you're grateful for. Just just shoot five out right in a row and they never have to be the same. Yeah. I'm grateful for these books. I'm grateful for these podcasts, my smart partner, my great producer. You know, these are things that, that are grateful. This awesome book that gave me a basis of a TED Talk, I made me grateful. Yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude, It's kind of hard to be pissed off when you're grateful. Well, and simple rule, right? And I'll ask you guys if you agree with me. There's never value to being angry. Like ultimately at the end of the day, it just, it, it's not going to do much for you, you know? So when you're there, always be looking to step back and be rational. I had a nice lady once teach me a lesson. So <laughs> she was about 60 years old. So I did an anonymous survey of the company I used to run. This is two companies ago. And they're handwritten back then. So it was not a, an email. It was handwritten. So, I, so one, one of the reviews came back, just gave me a scathing review. Mm-hmm. You know, bad etiquette, bad everything, bad this, and you know, I don't no believe name. it. Right, so I went back to the girl who who ran the. She's the underwriter, and she she knows everyone's handwriting. I go, whose handwriting is this? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, Well, I can't tell you that. She goes, Why do you want to know? I said, Well, I'd like to hate them back. You know, these people obviously hate me. And she goes, Come on, that's a not a very good use of your time. I go, You're right. Don't tell me. Active love. Active love. That was. <laughs> You're right, ma'am. I'm going to send her love. Yeah. <laughs> Be right back. All right. Let me know who it is. Uh, yeah. You want to take one more question? No, no I'm sorry. Yeah, let's take a question. This one's from Esperanza. What are some actionable steps for encouraging radical transparency in the workplace? I work in a less than transparent company right now, and I find that my transparency is working against me at times. I truly subscribe to the school of thought here. Just don't know how to bring small steps of radical transparency with me in my day to day. I'll take it. Yeah, I would ask for permission. You know, may I give you some feedback without hurting your feelings? Good one. Is that would it would it would offend you or would it be hurtful to my professional reputation or job security for me to give you information that could help this company? I like that. Would, would is that okay? And then in an interpersonal situation, now something's upsetting me. Can I share it with you? I love Just that a simple idea. It disarms them, right? Right. Um, I think what came to me is similar. You know, human beings are tribal and we always our instinct is to pull back and you versus me us versus them so when you are criticizing you are looking for transparency just really reiterate we're on the same team it's amazing how people's defenses lower when you before you criticize or before you go into muddy waters you know you say look we both want the same thing you know let's talk about different things we can do to get there um, it becomes less of you, 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 and it's like us. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. Right. Small thing, but that's a tough one, though. You got You got my my suggestion is don't go from one to ten. Go from one to two. Mm. You take small bites and, and create an environment where it's okay. And take and and, say, and then say also it's okay for you to share the same with me. I just want to make this company better. Yeah, that's what my goal is. Cool, cool. I got one more. It's a little bit more philosophical, but it says. What is something you wish you had that money can never buy? <laughs> Maybe you have it already? I, well, I got lucky enough to get it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I really don't know yeah, the answer to that tough. question. It's a tough one. I, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> well, the five regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware are, I mean, they're, I was terminally ill at one time, so I'm still terminally ill, though. Everybody is <laughs> well played. Just so you know, 
uh, five are not in this order, but I'll tell you the number one last. But the one is I wish I took better care of myself. I wish I kept better touch with my friends. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I was more kind to myself. I wish I was more compassionate. You know, I forgave myself. And then the, the last one is um, I wish I lived a life more true to myself rather than the one the world wanted me to live. So any of those would be things that money can't buy that you should be focused on. Every time I hear that, I, I think of that. Every time I hear those five regrets, that last one is always really strong. It's a big one. I'm going to pocket that question. I'd love to co- revisit that next okay. week after thinking about it, you know? Note it. Steve's famous for unanswerable <laughs> questions. That's why we call him the greatest color man in sports. Uh, one, one other random thing I liked about the book um, that stood out to me that, because I'm always um, trying to think of how you get in those flow states, how you come up with ideas. And one thing he said, he says, creativeness, creativeness comes from when you relax when you're taking a shower, when you're going for a walk. Whenever we ride bikes, I start like yeah. blabbering off. And I've noticed that when I walk and things like that, but what I liked, but he changed my mind of is the relaxing part. You don't realize, like I, when I take a shower, some thoughts come in your, my head and I think it's because I can't do anything. My phone's not there. Can't do tasks around the house. You have to stop and do one thing. Mm. But what I liked about what he said about relaxing is your mind's at ease and you can kind of do that state from anywhere and it's it lets the flow. It goes back to the thing of like when you're too like uh, pulling yourself out of the emotion anything like that is like you let all these things flow to you if you just kind of relax and breathe a lot of creativity comes i really like that i love it i love it i mean my my biggest challenge and i've gotten so much better at this but i still haven't cracked it i really haven't it's it's combining creativity and structure oh because i just don't see them as working together it's like trying to squeeze two things that don't go together together. Maybe you need a team, like a partner, like he talks about. He's like, it could be somebody else that has that structure. Cause he says that in the book too. Some people design solutions. Some people head in the cloud. Some people implement, I forget what else he says, but it's like, nobody can do them all. There's right. like five of them, which I liked. So what if you're creating a video, right? And, and you want to get it out. You want to, you'd like to have some consistency with your audience and you'd like to release this piece of work. And I'm going into my YouTube creator mode here. So, um, every Monday at three, because that's when you know you want your subscribers to check it out and be excited about it and have that consistent time, right? And you start Friday creating, but nothing comes. Nothing valuable comes. Nothing you like comes. And you go and you take a walk and you do your thing and it's just, and you know, and the clock's ticking. So you're like, I got to have something out. That's literally the antithesis of creative uh, creativity. It's like, it's 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 i don't know it's juggling two very different things i mean there are all obviously ways around it and things you can do but man if anyone listening <laughs> has any thoughts or tips on that it would oh, go a long way with me yeah it, that's the problem when you have the, the art art comes when it comes that's what I, you right? said that last time. yeah art it's uh and michael chick set me high if you want to read a great book it's behind eddie it's called flow and it's when people are in flow they're doing something that's called autotelic and an autotelic exercise or an autotelic task is something that requires no thought. It's uh, auto means self-goal. The goal is embedded in the task and the reward is there. Uh, climbing a mountain, jogging, uh, doing a, a puzzle. Uh, mar- artists get it uh, when they write music. 
it's a it, 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 it's a task and you know it requires a certain condition but in the autotelic state time doesn't elapse so you could be i think yours is running you know for me it's books and, and talking about books um, but i also like yoga so i get what's so during that you get downloads the world gives you downloads when your flip your brain opens up you know the world will download something in your in your brain mm-hmm. so i don't know if you get it while you're running running and walking, walking yeah. or driving a bike you know we, we just go for a ride autotelic um and it's flow he did a ted talk on it if you want to look at that uh, it's called flow and when you're in flow time doesn't pass um it's that blue book behind you Hold it up for the camera. Chick sent me high called Flow. Maybe we can add this to the list at some yeah. point. Speaking of that, do we know what's on tap that's, for that's next week? That's quite the name. What are we Who's reading next, Eddie? Me, me, Holly. Mihal Chick sent me high. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> he's a Hungarian. No, he's not. Hungarian psychologist. Czech is about Hungarian. I don't know. I'm just. I'm tongue twister. Hungarian. He's Hungarian. <laughs> he, he, uh, he escaped the communist. Uh, and he wandered into Carl Jung's seminar, became a psychologist, and wrote that book. He spent his whole life studying anxiety, and he don't think of pills a cure for anxiety. He thinks getting an autotelic flow. Speaking is. of Carl Jung, what is our uh, next book? Good to great. Good to great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to uh, oh bring up this quote because is a the unconscious conscious great book. Uh, this is good to great, and this is going to be our next book by Jim Collins. These are principles that made good companies great companies. So there's a little. There's a little things that separate uh, good from great, and there's six, I think he puts them in, six principles that he shares that have been you know, used by presidents, used by the biggest companies. This is a little older book, but it's a great book. He also wrote Built to Last, you know, Building the Company to Last. I'm pumped to read it. You quote that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I haven't read this book in 20 years, and I still remember when I originally read it because the stories are so good. Yeah. Uh, I want to read this just quick quote um, in the book that is said by Carl Jung until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Ugh, it's the best. If that doesn't give you chills, man. Woo. So that guy was before his time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, be thinking about things. Bring the unconscious to your conscious. Make good decisions, unemotional decisions. Kick ass. Have a good week. Keep the questions and the comments coming. Steve, you want to give them our contact yep. information? We like to get verbal ones. If you can, just call in. We're figuring out how to put a It'll be swipe, up, soon. Yeah, swipe up feature on our app. All you got to do is swipe up on the Instagram, and you'll go right to the messages. So the number is 754-273-6069, and you can use that as a regular number, so save it under your contacts as book to business or Eddie and Terry, whatever you want. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care. <laughs>